Welcome to the Freedom City Church podcast, a podcast designed to help your faith thrive. We hope you enjoy today's message. Title my message this morning, Lord, Lord. And so we're going to start by reading um, Luke 6, 46 through 49. Um, It's the little passage, Build Your House on the Rock. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. So let's leave that there to marinate for a minute and let's pray. Father God, thank you for another Sunday that um, we can gather together here in your presence. We thank you that you continue to do great and mightiful things in and through us. And God, this morning, I pray that as we lean in, that you would speak to us, that you would make your word clear, um, that we'd have a deeper revelation of who you are through your son, Jesus. Um, And Lord, I pray that as I speak, it would be your words that come, that your truth would be made known and that anything that's not of you would just fall away. We love you and we praise your might in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's get into it. You can probably just put, I'll leave that there. That's fine. Um, Who's heard the sinner's prayer before? Who's said the sinner's prayer before? Who's maybe even said it many times in your life as a teenager because you'd go to youth group and you weren't really sure if you were saved or not? Awesome. Most, like, I think most people here, right, have, have heard that and it's, Something to the effect of, I know that I've sinned, God, I ask for your forgiveness. Um, I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I want to invite you into my heart and my life. Um, I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. That's the general gist. Every preacher's got a different way to, to lead people in the sinner's prayer. The thing is that like nowhere in the Bible are we instructed to say like this specific prayer in order to actually become a Christian, but really what the sinner's prayer is at the heart of it is a tangible um, outworking of Romans 10.9. So if you want to pop that one up. Um, So Romans 10.9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the sinner's prayer helps us to go through this um, process of one, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and two, um, making an acknowledgement that we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. So today I, you know, I've titled my message, Lord, Lord. And what I want to look at is this idea of Jesus as our Lord, not only our saviour. You know, accepting Jesus um, as our saviour, it's a relatively, relatively simple moment. It's impacting moment. Um, It's a heart shift, a heart attitude that we take on. However, the Bible is really clear that while Jesus did come to save us, his lordship is a really key element in that saving. So like what's the point of being saved if we don't make Jesus our Lord? 
I remember um, reading like an analogy one time and I'm going to maybe butcher it a little bit about sort of what this relationship between Jesus as Lord and Saviour kind of looks like. And so in effect, it says that before we're saved, it's like being on an island. We're stuck on an island and we need to be rescued. Um, And then when Jesus comes, he creates a way to get off the island and he says, come with me. So you can be saved in the sense that you can truly believe that there's a way off the island. He's done the saving part. Jesus has come and he's made a way. But unless we actually follow Jesus and get off the island and, you know, make use of the access that he's created, what's the point? We're saved, but we haven't actually fully realized that salvation until we go. Okay, so this word Lord um, in the Bible, I've, for the sake of keeping it about referring to Jesus, I'm looking at the New Testament specifically. The word Lord in the Bible is kurios. Um, so its definition is supreme in authority. Um, it comes from the root word kurios, which means supremacy. And when, when we look at the outlined usage of it, its primary usage in the Bible, it means he to whom a person um, or thing belongs about which he has the power of deciding. It's used 640 times in the New Testament. Jesus is referred to as Lord over, 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 over again. And whenever we see Jesus being referenced as Lord in the New Testament, there's an admission that he is supreme in authority. So now let's have a look at the word saviour without a U because the Blue Letter Bible doesn't use a U. Um, That word is soter and it uh, means deliverer, which we understand to be God or Christ. Um, And that one actually, I think it's root word, yeah, I've got it there, sozos, which is the verb form um, to be saved. It's used 24 times in the New Testament, which I think, like, for me is a pretty um, stark contrast. Um, I think it's about 27 times, more more times he's referred to as Lord than he is Saviour. But it's main, this word, its main contextual usage is, yes, yeah, Saviour, Deliverer, Preserver. So now when we go back to Romans 10.9, which actually is the next slide, Sam, um, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is curios, that is when you confess that Jesus is supreme in authority and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be sozo, which we established is that verb root of soter. So that is you will be delivered. So I don't point out this, this contrast in the, in the number of times that one word is used over the other to minimize the saving work of Jesus because that's his primary purpose was to come to earth to deliver us from our sins. And what a gift it is that we can accept salvation through Jesus because of what he did on the cross. What Romans 10, 9 is actually calling attention to is though the intrinsic link between acknowledging Jesus as Lord and the saving work that he does in us. 
And what I hate to see is this idea of Jesus' saviour nature being elevated to the point of diminishing his lordship when it's so clear that his saving grace comes to us through his supreme authority. You know, I've preached before about um, sanctification um, and how we as Christians hold this tension between where we are saved but we're also being saved. Um, and so that this, this being saved part, the part that's in progress, is actually what's happening when we realise Jesus as Lord. So now let's go back to Luke 6. Um, and it says, yeah, so why do you call me curios, curios, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's someone who's built his foundation on the rock. So there's a, there's a submission to Jesus and his reign when we call him Lord. And I love to come up and um, do messages about obedience and being holy and sanctification. Like it's a, they're topics that we get a bit like, oh, I just want Jesus to save me and then it's all good. Um, you know, what do you mean that being saved means I have to submit to somebody else? But Jesus says in this passage that calling him Lord and not doing what he tells us to do is like building our house on no foundation. We're subject to destruction and ruin the second we see any sign of hardship. You know, James put it really simply in um, chapter 1. I've got verse 22 and 25 here. He says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. Be the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, so that's Jesus, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. We've got John telling us in 1 John 2, 3, that we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. So this idea that um, Jesus is Lord is linked to our salvation and actually a demonstration of our salvation is our submission to Jesus. And I can hear the question now, Molly, isn't submitting to Jesus as Lord just a works-based salvation? I don't have to do things to be saved. I'm not Catholic. Um, and I would say, no, like our salvation is, is evidenced by our obedience to God. Our salvation is not earned through obedience. So when we've internalize the gift that we've re received through salvation, when we truly understand that we're saved, when we truly believe that Jesus, that we can trust Jesus as our saviour, we begin to understand that it's actually worthwhile to trust Jesus with every other aspect of our life. We can trust that if he can save us, he can govern us. You know, in, in Romans uh, 14, verses 7 to 9, it says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So that meaning of curious, to a thing to whom a person or thing belongs, Jesus has the power of deciding. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. 
So it's a lot to, a bit to chew on, and it got me thinking. And I think, well, what's what's the practical aspect of that? How do we apply that? What does it look like um, to actually submit to Jesus as our Lord? So the first thing that I've come up with here is one: we acknowledge His authority, understanding that Jesus has supreme authority is actually fundamental to how we understand God's ways. And I actually recently just listened to a, um, a teaching series about suffering. So I subscribed to Theosu. It's great. You should check it out. Um, and David Campbell, who taught that series, he, he taught seven principles about understanding the ways of God. And we don't have time to really go super in-depth about all of them. And I'm going to list a few of them. I'm going to list them all for you, but a few of them will be up here. So let's get into it. So the first one, um, principles for understanding the ways of God is that one, God has authority over all things. um, And that's evidence in Genesis 1, John 1, Revelation, he's the Alpha Omega. The second is that God has authority over the lives of believers. The third, that God has authority over Satan. The fourth, uh, that God has authority over sinful people. That one's really clear in um, Genesis 37 through 50, the story of Joseph. The uh, fifth thing, oh, what's happening here? The fifth thing is that God calls us to remember his faithfulness in times of trouble. The sixth is that he calls us to see things with his vision. And then the seventh is that God has a plan. So, what you'll note, and I've popped them up here, the first four of those seven principles is to do with acknowledging that God is sovereign over everything, over all things. You know, and we hark back to Romans 10 and it says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So when we have this practical application about acknowledging Jesus as Lord, it's as simple as actually saying it out loud. A really simple way to begin submitting your life is to acknowledge Jesus as Lord out loud with your mouth. When you pray, when you're in uncertain circumstances, when you're in awesome circumstances, make it a habit to speak out loud with your voice, Jesus, you are Lord. You have authority of my life. You have authority over this situation. I believe you're in control. God, help me to see this situation how you see this situation. God, I believe you have a plan. You know, in that second principle up there, it talks about how, um, you know, Jesus, God, has authority over Satan. You know, fun fact, Satan's not a mind reader. (laughs) He knows human nature so well that sometimes it feels like he's in our heads, but he's not. And so when you're feeling that attack from the enemy, speaking out loud, Jesus has authority over you, Satan. You don't have authority in my life. You have the power to tell Satan who is supreme over all earth. The second thing that we can do um, to submit our lives to Jesus is, Lord, is to acknowledge that our submission to Jesus is an act of worship. And I know that quite often we talk when we talk about worship, we it can sometimes be a bit tricky to come up with ideas about like what is worship other than Um, the 20 to 25 minutes at the top of a church service because it's become really ingrained in our culture to understand that worship means the singing and music part. And absolutely, praising God through song, it is a form of worship. But actually what worship is, is 
all expression of reverence and adoration for God. So by submitting to his reign and following his commands, this is an act of worship. When we're believing in our salvation and acknowledging that Jesus holds that supreme authority, it helps us to identify our obedience to him as an act of worship rather than an obligation. And when we shift our perspective and take on that attitude of, I obey God because I believe he saved me and I trust that he knows what's good for me, it's, it's, it's like a muscle. The more you work it, the more natural it becomes to view that as an act of worship and to engage in that act of worship. And in the Old Testament, like, we see so much instruction from God about how to worship him. You know, read the book of Leviticus. It's a play-by-play about how the Israelites were to worship God. And at the heart of it was obedience. It was a commitment to do it the way God said to do it because that's how he said to do it. Sure, to us it doesn't make a whole lot of sense about why we need this animal on this day with no blemishes and this part of it and sacrificed in this way and eaten at this time. Seems kind of arbitrary, but the point is the obedience that comes with that and that submission to God. And I think, imagine how our lives would change if we started to treat obeying Jesus the way we treat worshipping through song. That thing that I, for a long time, was my favourite part of church on a Sunday. I can't wait to go to church so that I can stand and sing in worship. Imagine if we treat obeying Jesus with the same eagerness as that. And then the last thing I've got here is that... <clears throat> To submit our lives to Jesus, we need to submit our whole life, not just parts. It's pretty easy to revoke Jesus' lordship in those areas of our lives where we feel like we've got a really good handle on it. You know, financially, I feel really set. Jesus doesn't need to be the lord of my finances. I've got a great job and I'm really good at it. I'm going to get a promotion. I don't need Jesus to be the lord of my career. My marriage is solid as a rock. I don't need Jesus to be the Lord of my marriage. My kids are awesome. They never cry. I don't need Jesus to be the Lord of my family. The thing is that when Jesus, I'm sorry, when the Lordship of Jesus is a settled issue in a Christian's life, all other issues are settled. There's a quote by, um, his name is S.M. Zwemer, um, and he, he was an American missionary. And he said, unless Jesus is Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Unless Jesus is Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. This is a challenge to us as believers to bring every area of our life under the sovereign rule of Jesus. In our lives, you know, there should be no rivalry for his throne. For Jesus to be Lord of our life, that means that he's the ruler. He's the boss. He's the master of our whole life. He cannot be Lord of a part. He must be given control of the entire life, the whole life. And when we submit our whole life to Jesus, we inquire of him on all matters. We involve Jesus in all of our decisions. You know, not long ago, Nisha preached about good versus God. 
And we're seeking after God to make God decisions, not what we think are good decisions. We look to him about where we should go and what we should do. We become attuned to the Holy Spirit and we seek his direction. And when we receive his direction, we do it because our obedience is an act of worship to God. So I want to finish just by asking a couple of questions, rhetorical, of course. Um, The first is, do you trust that if Jesus can save you, that he's worth trusting with every other aspect of your life? And the second is, you know, are there areas of your life where you know you've given Jesus the back seat? Are there areas of your life that you're yet to relinquish to Jesus and, and submit and say, God, I trust you with this thing? You know, my prayer for you this morning is that the Holy Spirit would come and give us a deeper revelation of our salvation so that that revelation, you know, in response to that revelation, it's to put Jesus on the throne. Say, okay, God, I do actually really truly believe that I'm saved because of what you did and I want you to be the Lord of my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to acknowledge that you are sovereign. You reign supreme over all of the earth and there is no authority higher than yours. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you have invited us into communion with you and that through your son, Jesus, we have access to salvation and to deliverance. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that you want all of our lives not just some of it, not just the parts where we think we need it, but all of it. God, this morning I pray that as a congregation we would become a people who prioritise your lordship in our lives, that our houses would be ones with foundations dug deep and laid on the rock as we hear what you say and do because we trust that you are Lord who knows all and who sees all and who works all together for the good of those who love you. We thank you again and again that you come and you meet us here and that you partner with us. God, thank you that we don't have to figure this thing out on our own. But we pray, you know, thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit that comes to help us live in a way that's pleasing to you, Lord. Lord, be with us as we continue to submit to your authority. And in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Freedom City podcast. If there is any way that we can help you survive and thrive in your everyday life, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd want to know more about who we are, just head to www.freedomcityfremantle.com. Until next time, take care.